Hello, everybody, and welcome to Star Talk, a podcast presented by the Aniston Star. I'm Philip Tudor, a columnist here at the newspaper, and I'll be joined today by Nick Bowles, the new chief of the Aniston Police Department. Chief Bowles is familiar to many of us around here in Northeast Alabama because he's from Cleburne County originally, and he's worked in various roles at APD for more than two decades. And now he's a police chief in a city that's receiving federal assistance to tamp down violent crime and in a nation that this year is having deep philosophical discussions about policing and its role in modern America. I certainly expect that you'll enjoy our conversation. Here's our interview. Chief Bowles, I appreciate you agreeing to be on Star Talk today. I assume you've been uh, quite busy, you know, since you were promoted the, uh, a few weeks ago. I have been a busy couple of weeks, but uh, I don't mind taking time out and, uh, and and doing this for you. No problem. Um, there's a, there are many things I'd like to talk about today, Chief, and but let's start kind of with some basics, if you don't mind, because a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with your background. How did you get in law enforcement? Or where are you from? I know you've been on the APD for 20 years or so, um, but where did you go to school and how did you get started in this career? Okay, uh, well, I'll start uh, as far back as I can. Uh, I was born in Little Kansas. Uh, we moved around quite a bit in the Midwest and Southeast as a kid before uh, moving back here with my mom in about 1991 to River County. Um, EMS workers in Cleaver County and volunteer firefighters. Um, you couldn't be a reserve at that point because you had to be 19. Uh, so, uh, and, and I knew I wanted to do one of those things and listen to their stories. And, and uh, we just decided we wanted to be cops. That was a cool thing. You know, we were cops and, you know, with the TV show on, 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 the, on TV and we watched that and that was just a cool thing. And <laughs> we down, we were 17, we went down to the sheriff's department and wanted to be reserves. And he broke our hearts and told us that we had to be. 19, and when you're 17, two years is an eternity. Hmm. So, um, you know, we went on and got real jobs, and, and uh, you know, I got married and had kids, you know, was doing the, the uh, family thing and working over in Atlanta, living in Tesla, but working in Atlanta. And uh, I was on a welding table. Didn't want to be a cop. I can pull over. I got a ticket from a state trooper. Because <laughs> uh, he brought me back and sat me in his car, and I'm looking around his car, and looking at everything, you know, <laughs> as he's driving me my ticket. But um, I'm, I'm on the well table one day, and I look over, and it's hot, it's summer in Atlanta. And I look over, and the guy next to me is he's been welding for longer than me, I'm making a dollar, two dollars more an hour than I am. And he's in his fifties at the time, and I'm looking at him, I'm like, I'm not doing this. I'm 23, 24 years old. I'm like, I'm. I'm not doing this for another, you know, 20, 30 years. I won't be able to do this. So I thought at that point, I'm going to go, I'm going to go be a cop. I knew I'd take a cut doing it, and, uh, but it was just, it was a calling. And I had a kind of cliche to say, and everybody says that, but you know when you want to do something and want something and just drawing you to it. And that's how law enforcement was. Um, and even just the, the limited knowledge that I had of it, because there was no... Um, there was internet, but it was the dial. It was dial up, you know, and it was fast, high speed, but it was 
about the one it is now, social media that was done on that back then. So, uh, Mike McCann, I started flying over in Cabin uh, County. I was flying for uh, Weaver, Oscar Anderson, just kind of hitting the, the, the strip right here. And uh, Anderson was, was the first one to call me. I went to their hiring process and they hired me and uh, been here ever since. So what all, Chief, have you done at APD? If you've been there 20 years, I'm assuming you've done you know, different jobs while you were there. Right. So when when I was hired here, when I was trained, um, you weren't specifically taught not to turn anything down, but if, if an opportunity was presented to you, you took that opportunity. So uh, I got hired in 2000. I was a patrol officer um, until 2004. I was a uh, training officer after my second year. You have to be here for two years before you can be a training officer. So as soon as I did, I became a training officer and trained, you know, newer guys that we were hiring. Um, in 2002, I got on the uh, our SWAT team, our SRT, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, uh, became an operator there and was serving high-risk search warrants uh, for them. I was an operator and a uh, marksman observer and sniper for, for uh, layman's terms. And, um, you know, doing those, those high-speed tactical, you know, fun things that you can do when you're young and strong. <laughs> and, uh in 2004, um, I got an opportunity to go to investigations. Um, I went. I, I, I'm still having a great time on patrol. I've only been here four years. That's, you know, that's very fast. Uh, but I got the opportunity to go and be an investigator, so I wasn't going to turn that down. So I went to investigations, and um, we're still on the, the SWAT team. We're on the SWAT team up until this, these past two weeks. But um, went to investigations and was a white-collar crime Investigator at the time, hmm. checks were still uh, were still widely circulated. Not right. so much anymore, but they were widely circulated, widely forged, and hmm. uh, so we got a lot of that. Yeah, the, the basic white collar crimes, credit cards, and scams, right. sure. plans, and all that that kind of thing. So I did uh, majority property crimes. Um, caught a few murders here and there, but the majority were uh, white collar property crimes. Then. Um, I stayed there until 2009, so I did five years as an investigator. Um, came out of investigation back to patrol for a year before getting promoted to sergeant in 2010. Hmm. And um, was a patrol sergeant for about two and a half years. Uh, got promoted to lieutenant and was a patrol lieutenant for about six months before I went to training and inspections, which they, they oversee all of our training all of the hiring and uh, all of the internal affairs investigations in the police department. So um, that's what I really uh, got to understand is that from 2013 until 2015, um, two and a half, three years in that. Then that's why I really got my eyes open to how the police department works, how the, in the police department is a cog in the city machine, mm-hmm. uh, for mm-hmm. lack of a better phrase. Um, you know, we're one part. We don't. We're not running roughshod over the whole city. We're cogging a machine. And right. It's right. the whole thing work. And you see how the department works. You see how a budget works. You see how you know the hiring and the firing and resignations and the moves. And you get to see this whole you know machine of a city work. And uh, that was that was really interesting to me. So I did that for a few years, and then um, when Captain Wally retired in 2015. Uh, I got promoted to captain and took his spot as the patrol captain when I was responsible for the patrol division, which is the majority of the police department. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about 60 people. And um, so I was the patrol captain and 
our key commander at that point. So uh, I was responsible for all those guys. And I'll tell you, it's a big difference. You know, being the one ordered to go through the door, that's not a problem. That's great and fun. Hmm. And, and uh, that's what you sign up for when you're responsible for the kids going through that door. It's a whole different ballgame. Sure. You know, and, and I'll be honest with you, Chief. The answer for that. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Chief. That kind of leads me to my next question, which is, you know, why did you want to be police chief? Because I'll be honest with you that when we interviewed um, your predecessor, uh, Chief Denham, he was he he loves the job. He loves being a policeman. I mean, he made that very clear. But he talked about the stress of being chief, and it's a twenty-four hour a day job, and it never ends. Um, why did you want to be police chief? So, I never, I, I told Wayne Chandler, he hired me in 2000, and I sat across the table from him, and I told him, when he asked me uh, what my long-term goal was, I told him, I want your job. I want to sit in that chair. Hmm. And I think I said that because that's what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to be ambitious and shoot for the top, mm-hmm. and that's what you're supposed to do. I never thought that would be a reality, um, honestly, until I became uh, a patrol captain. I did not think that this would be a reality. This was not, it was not a goal. I, didn't, I was never, you know, a patrolman saying, I'm going to be the chief one day, you know. That was a major, you're at the top of the pyramid, you mm-hmm. know, in the department at that point. And, you know, and yeah, you, you see that stress, and you're glad that that's not on you. Um, however, as I'm coming up through and I'm seeing the decisions that are made and how they're made and why they're made, and, and you get to see this machine work, uh, I think that, and this is not to sound conceited, any CEO, any any high-level ranking manager in anything, I don't care if it's a, a police department or a Burger King or, mm-hmm. you know, the president, they think they have, they can make the best decisions for that organization. Sure. So, and Denham, Denham gave me leeway. This is not, you know, this is not my, my first time making any decisions or, you know, dealing with any of these people. Denham gave gave me plenty of leeway with the decisions that I wanted to make, and he trusted me enough to make decisions, but this was an easy transition. I would, of course, run things by him, you know, get get authorization to do anything before I did them, but, um, you know, anything major, but um, he, he, basically that was training to take this job. If you want this job, make the decisions, make the right decisions and that are the best for the city, the best for the department. That it's for the people, and you can't do wrong, really. Sure. Well, so, look, so it, was, it was a very it was a natural transition. Sure. So when you sat across the table from Wayne Chandler and told him what you thought you were supposed to say, did you mean that? I mean, did you actually really envision yourself having his job one day? Absolutely not. No, that's, okay. what, that's what I said. I thought that's you're just supposed to be ambitious. You, you know, you go in confident. You go in, you know. Uh, uh, ambitious. So, but you, know, you but you were ambitious. I mean, I was. yeah, so, sure. Honestly, if we if we if we get down to brass tacks, if I told the truth, if he if he asked me, where do you see yourself in two to three years? I probably would have said, I want to be a state trooper. That's really why I'm here. They look good. <laughs> they got the cool hats. They got the cool cars. Because they did. I mean, it was just yeah. Just the fact. Yeah. And uh, but once I once I got hired here. I found out that I didn't like working wrecks or writing tickets, and I was like, "And eh, no, I don't want to be a secretary anymore." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Uh, you know, but no, I did not think that was that would be a possibility. I really thought, and even as an investigator, when I'm in, when I'm here, you know, five, six, and eight, nine years, I'm really thinking I might retire as a sergeant. That'll probably hmm. be as high as I'm able to to get. 
And, you know, and I'm fine with that, and I'll, and I'll retire as a sergeant. Um, but that's, that's really, you know, what I'm really not looking 20 years into the future, you know, 15 and 20 years into the future, and seeing all the people who are going to leave and the moves and the retirements and things like that. Um, but, you know, as time, time, time progressed and promotions were made, and I was in the right spots at the right times, you know, I was able to, uh, to jump on those opportunities. Sure. Chief, I'd like to talk um, for a second about something that happened back in June with the city council. You've been here a long, long time, so you know a lot of this and the background on it. And you know, Councilman Ben Little has—you know—he's been a longtime critic uh, of the police department, and he has people in the city who believe him, and then he has a lot of people in the city who don't believe him. So, but he is an elected official. And back in early in the summer, he tried to get the council to authorize or to decide to seek a federal investigation of APD. Um, I'm, to this day, I'm not quite sure why. He, there was some discussions he had had about a Facebook post from 20 years ago or something, and it just it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and even Councilman Reddick, has, from time to time, has backed Councilman Little's claims. I'm curious from your standpoint, because you're not a newcomer to Aniston, clearly. What is your response to these claims among some elected officials that they would that they think there needs to be a federal investigation uh, of APD do, do you have a response to that? So it really depends and I don't know because I don't know how other people I don't know what they feel in their heart truthfully sure. um, if they truly feel that the federal Bureau of Investigation needs to come in here and investigate this police department or whatever Mm-hmm. And call them in. We have absolutely no denial. We are a Kalia accredited, accredited agency. Um, all of our, we are an open book. We, we abide by the national standards that Kalia sets out. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, an, it's an open book. We're not scared. I'm not scared of federal investigation. As a matter of fact, um, the Department of Justice completed an investigation on our hiring practices where someone complained on our hiring practices mm-hmm. probably six, six or six years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and They'll never say, you know, you're good to go. We didn't find anything. They had some suggestions for us. Some of them are state standards we can't change. And some of them were just with how we advertised um, and did recruiting videos and things like that. It was very minor. They couldn't find anything wrong because there was nothing wrong. Sure. Um, so we're not, I'm not scared of any, any investigation like that. If they truly feel that's what it is in their heart, um, if it's purely for their constituents or political favor with where they think that'll gain them political favor, then I have no comment on it. That's not sure. It's not in my realm to, sure. you know, to care really. Sure. It, it, you know, Councilman Little has. I mean, and this goes back a decade, maybe even back to his very first term, um, almost twenty years ago. Um, he has repeatedly made unfounded, at least from what I can tell, because I've been here thirty years, uh, unfounded allegations of racial bias within the police department in terms of how APD responds to African-American citizens. Um, you know, the, I work for a newspaper and we have reported on this forever and, and we've never been able to substantiate what, what the councilman has said. So, you know, I'd like to have that on the record, but I'm curious again, from your standpoint, do you have a response to, to people who might say that there is some sort of uh, racial disparity in the way APD responds to calls? 
so
so people lash out at us, and, and, and they, you know, they might say something or do something that, that you know, what humans do, we're not robots, and, that, and we get our feelings hurt the same way. So uh, we tell them not to take that personally, that the vast, and I mean the vast majority of this city, black, white, brown, yellow, purple, support this police department. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe they know that they have a good police department, they have a highly trained police department, and we're out here doing the best for them that we can. Chief, does, um, you talked about new officers and young officers. I'm curious, uh, do you believe that Aniston pays its police officers well enough? <laughs> and not, uh, let, me, let me preface that. Uh, um, not, not, do they, not do they pay you well enough, but do they pay your entry-level young recruits, do they pay them well enough? What is that? What is that entry? What is that entry level pay now, Chief? It's sixteen ninety seven, I believe, right now. An hour. Um, an hour. Yeah. Okay. Now, Ohashi is looking at surpassing that, and Jacksonville, if they if they haven't surpassed it, they will shortly. Hmm. And we used to be the top dog in the county. We were paying the most. We were the most attractive. Everybody was coming here. There was a time when you thought the chief driving. Um, there was a time when there were 300 people taking the test, and it took him, he had to take the test three times before he got hired. Hmm. Uh, there were about 80 people that took the test when I took the test, and uh, I was hired on the first round, but, you know, I didn't think there was a chance. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't here for the pay. You know, I, like I said, I took a pay cut. I took a $2 an hour pay cut when I came here. I knew that was going to happen. But um, um, I think that it's important. People, they, they, people look at that now, people who are, blue-collar workers, and they're going to come to the police department. They've already got bills and families a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, people that were hiring. So they have to still pay their bills. Um, so I believe the city the city does the best they can with what they have, keeping us up to date, because we're not a cheap department. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when, it, when we talk about lawsuits and getting sued, the first thing that they get is training. So mm-hmm. our training budget, you know, is... is Fifty, sixty thousand dollars, depending on what we're doing that year, you know, and and just cars cost money, this building costs money, computers cost money, software contracts. I mean, you know, from dealing with you know software companies, they get you in mm-hmm. agencies and all that stuff is, right. is expensive, and um, you know, so the, the salaries, you know, eat up most of our budget, but it's it's, it's important, and uh, I think they do the best they can, and. My plan, I hope to get the pay definitely over $17 an hour. Hmm. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's a difference between seeing a car that's $20,000 and seeing a car that's $19,999. Sure, so, sure. You go for that $19,000, even though it's $1. <laughs> but if I can get to start pay over $17, that's a short-term goal, I hope, by sure. the next budget. You know, talking to Mr. Folks and that is probably the first time you hear it. But it's just a psychological thing. And, uh, and, and just to attract people and keep us competitive with the departments that we can compete with, we can't compete with Oxford. I'm not even going to you know, sit here and lie to you as far as pay, but um, we can't do anything about that. So we'll stay as competitive and stay as attractive as we can with what we've got. Sure. Chief, your colleague down in Oxford, uh, Chief Bill Partridge, online at least, you know, Twitter and Facebook, he's a very vocal supporter 
of national law enforcement issues. And as we've gone through this summer with what happened with the George Floyd case up in Minnesota, you know, he's been, you know, the Chief Partridge was adamant online um, that that was an awful situation and those officers did not follow training and, and clearly were in the wrong. But nevertheless, Chief Partridge is very, he's been very vocal about uh, trying to tamp down the this national narrative that you occasionally hear, or even often hear, I guess, that some police departments are too violent or that they use too much force. I'm curious where you stand this summer as you've heard these, you know, we've all heard these discussions, particularly after the George Floyd case. And, you know, kind of describe to me where you stand on national policing and, and these discussions that Americans are having about police today. Okay. Um, the first thing I'll tell you was, is that I completely agree with Chief Parker. Absolutely 100% on, on those issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I made a post, it, it's on our Facebook page after mm -hmm. the George Floyd incident. I actually made a post on my personal Facebook page and um, because I just, it was, that was absolutely ridiculous. It was, right. It's unspeakable what happened there and how that played out. Um, so I, I just, I couldn't hold my tongue anymore. You know, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're, you know, so anyway, so we, but the chief didn't know at the time, saw it, and he said, put that on our page. So, hmm. um, I'm going to find it just a little bit to take out the eyes, I think, because we're a collective here. We have right. several uh, moderators on Facebook, so I didn't want it to be coming. This wasn't from Captain Bowles. This is how the police department feels. Sure. So, and it says it's the exact same thing. It's, you know, it's, it's how bad that was a reflection on, on everybody. Now, incidents like that are, are few and far between, mm -hmm. but when they happen, it is, it's ugly. It's very ugly. It gives all of us a black eye. Right. There are three-quarters of a million police officers, 750,000 police officers or so in this country. We make millions of contacts with citizens per day. Hmm. Millions. Whether it's traffic stops, calls, um, arrests, you know, just talking to a complainant on a noise. We make millions per day. Millions. But one incident like that in people's minds defines policing hmm. and that's just absolutely untrue right it's untrue um it's untrue in this town you know um so, so how do you chief how do you how do you tamp that down then if you if you firmly believe that how do you change people's opinions who may see the george floyd video and they may believe what you just said that, that that's representative of all police how do you change their opinion okay i will i will I'm knocking on wood, you know, and <laughs> something happens. Yeah. But when that happened, and when I can't control, I will tell you, I used to drive myself crazy when I was a fraternal police president and an investigator. I used to drive myself crazy with what the Anderson City Council was doing and how it was affecting us. Hmm. It took me a long time to realize, don't, you can't worry about things that you can't control, period. Hmm. And that's something that I'll, I'll talk to these guys in the buildup about it. So on a, on a broader national, I can't control or, or or do anything about what happens in Milwaukee, Los Angeles, Colorado. I can't control. I can't control or do anything about what happens in Jacksonville, Alabama. Mm -hmm. All I can focus on, look at, is Anderson. That is it. This is my area of operation. That's all I can control. So after George Floyd happened. After um, these, these bigger cities and these 
riots and these protests and everything was happening. People around here started having, you know, rumblings of meetings, and, mm-hmm. you know, we heard rumors of riots, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. So they started having meetings, and one was uh, Glenn Ray's uh, NLACP meeting he had out here. I don't know. Yep. I, I do. I believe y'all did have yep. out here. We did. Um, and it was, it was honestly more supportive than anything. Hmm. That's I good. think the majority of people in this town know they have a good police department. I'm not talking about outside people. I'm talking about people that don't live in Anderson. Right. You know, I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people who live here, who are invested. They are this community. They are this city. They know they've got a good police department. Do we make mistakes? Absolutely. Have we made mistakes in the past? Absolutely. Are we going to make mistakes in the future? Absolutely. But we, we are adult enough admit those mistakes, get rid of that person, or retrain the whole department on that mistake, and make sure that it doesn't happen in the future. Um, there are people, and I, I had to accept that, that there are people that we will never be able to reach. Hmm. Never, ever. There's nothing we can do that that we can change their mind. They've got an axe to grind, um, something happened to one of their family members or to them in the past, and they just, there's just no getting to them, and that's okay. That's fine. Um, but I have to worry about the people that we can't get to, that we can positively influence. I'm sitting here in my office right now looking at some kids from the YMCA. They're probably 7 to 10 years old out there playing, and that, those are the people that I'm trying to affect and positively reach and make sure. sure that they reach maturity and are able to take my job and to take your job and, and, and control of this city and keep it going for everybody. That's what, that's what I'm looking for. Sure. Um, a lot of times online, Chief, and I know this is something that the newspaper has tried to help combat, is the no- the notion that is fueled by a lot of online, what we call clickbait websites, that list you know the most violent cities in the United States. And they use different data sets, some from the FBI, some from the states. Um, and Aniston, because of the police jurisdiction and issue and so forth, the numbers get skewed, and we've tried to, from the newspaper, explain that to the public. Um, nevertheless, there is a perception, at least, you know, when people Google Aniston, if you will, that it's a place that's very violent in terms of violent crime. It's my understanding that the federal assistance you guys have have received the last couple of years has helped to to dramatically lower the violent crime rate here. Is that accurate? Is that is that the case? It is. Um, when, so, first off, I, I can't stand those most dangerous cities. I right. can't stand them. Right. Um, no one, you, you know the stats, you know how they do. We are, we're reporting our entire part one columns, but it's for the city limits and the police jurisdiction. Right. The only thing we're getting credit for, population-wise, is the city limits, which right. is only half of the population that we actually police, so it makes us look way worse than it is. Right. Um, and number two, when I can't say, I won't say that uh, all of the people who are victims of crimes put themselves in that position. I won't say all of them. Mm-hmm. I will say the vast majority of them do. Hmm. Um, if, we, if we have a murder um, outside of domestic violence, they knew each other, it was a dope deal gone bad, it was overdose, it was over money, it was something criminal, there's some other element, you know, uh, in there, normally. Nine times out of ten, it's, they're 
thing out there. Well, and that person, they, you know, they, they obviously they didn't deserve it, but they, they, they were in that life. They, mm-hmm. were, they were part of that. Right. Um, I'm not talking about a straight bullet or something like that, you know, or, or domestic violence. I'm just, I'm, I'm talking about no kills and things like that. Sure. So, when we have these gun crimes, shootings, even non-fatal shootings, are once again over, over money, over debts, over um, relationships. You know, uh, one guy um, has a has a girlfriend, and another guy takes that girlfriend, and the feud begins. You know, and it sure. lasts for years. Sure. Um, and it happens. So um, when when we have those, and we start getting on the map, and the start looking at us, kind of like you know what? If we're going to start getting, if we're going to keep getting beat up by these numbers, let's use them for benefit. So we start getting some federal attention. Um, and, and we've got the, the marshals and ATF and uh, DEA and everybody involved, and we're getting grants going, and we've, we've got some equipment from that, some plans to, to combat crime here, and we've got those resources here. That is a force multiplier and hmm. a, a, an avenue for us to prosecute the most egregious of offenders. If somebody's out here, Phil um, uh, Peter's out here, he's got... Um, a bag airline gun on him, and we send him to the through the state system. You're probably back in three or four months. By the time you get processed in, you're processing back out, hmm. and I can't fault anybody. It's, it's just the overcrowding and the place that we're in right now. The the state system just can't house you when they're you know they've got high level sex offenders and murderers and you know violent criminals and you know they're they're, they're filled to the gills as well. So you get back out on the street. But we know you're a shooter, we know you're involved in the game, mm-hmm. and we catch you with that same dope and that gun, and we're able to prosecute you federally for that, mm-hmm. and then you get five years, which might sound, you know, not like a, like not a lot of time, except that you're going to do 85% of that in the federal system. Right. So you're going to be gone for at least four years you know, sure. before we see you again. And doing that, you know, two, three, four, fifteen times going after these these violent felons that will calm it down in half. Hmm. It is told that we used to we used to average twelve to fifteen murders a year by whatever happenstance that happened. And I think it, the, the word got out with our street crimes that they weren't seen. Once we started making federal cases, hmm. they would still get dope and they would still get guns. But they would not get no bank guns because the word was out. They're making federal charges on everybody, and they're leaving mm-hmm. their guns at home, which is great because yeah. if they're riding around. They can be riding around and hanging out. They might have, you know, a little weed on them or whatever. And then, but if they see a rival and they have a gun, they're more apt to act violently and hmm. against their rival than if they don't have a gun. Sure, it's just the fact. It's basic and it's logic. Sure, and you attribute that reduction directly to this federal assistance you guys have received. I did, hundred percent. The uh, huh. J Town was our uh, U.S. attorney that was assigned mm-hmm. to this area, and, mm-hmm. and uh, he's gone now. But he was very adamant, and very, he said, "Bring me the cases. Bring me the cases." Hmm. Um, he, he wanted the cases, and that's something we had not seen before. Um, you had to when I was on the street. It had to be a major case for it to go federal, a major case. Hmm. And, and now, because the, the spotlight is on them, and it's for area, that um, they're taking the case, and whatever we'll give them, they'll take it. Hmm. And, uh, and they, they've been really good to it, like directly attributed to that. Okay. Uh, last question for you, Chief, and I'll let you get back to your day. It's, it's, you've been here 20 years. 
is policing in this city, in Anniston, Alabama, is it more difficult today than it was when you first started? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't mean to, to make it such an obvious question. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, no, so things have changed so much, so much. There were no um, cell phones. There were, you know, officers or um, citizens. You know, just the cell phone, the communications have made um, things faster and different. Um, we had to, I was talking to Chief Chandler just the other day, when I got hired, you had to have permission from the chief to bring a physical camera to work, you know, to take pictures, and where now everybody's got one, hmm. you know, or two on them at all times between their cell phones and watches and, mm-hmm. you know, everything else that's out there. So, uh, body cameras, you know, they were, they were not... Um, a thing when I started. It was it was not even heard of. And uh, so that basic communications between people and physical policing them has has is not any different. The laws are not really any different. Um, technology has made a difference as far as uh, the cameras and the body cameras. Tasers, there were no tasers when I started. You had pepper spray. Hmm. And uh, you both got sprayed. If you sprayed somebody, you were getting it too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that makes a difference. Um, you know, the spotlight with, with social media, even outside of the streets, just mm-hmm. social media mm-hmm. perception. If somebody somebody can take a, a 15-second video they took on a traffic stop, and that's the first thing that gets out there, and that's the perception, but I've got the whole 15-minute traffic stop, and that 15 seconds is, is not encompassed or really right. you know, out of context for the traffic stop. Sure. So just come back to things like that. Um, it's worked for us. I'm not saying it hasn't. Um, I was very critical in, I want to say, 2006 or seven when we got body cameras. I was very critical of it. I, you know, I was adamant, this is, you know, this is wrong. This means this, you're saying our word's not good enough anymore, and you're saying that, you know, we're not to be trusted. Well, you know what? Our word isn't good enough anymore because the things that guys have done, and not here, but just all over, you know, all over the country. And there's, there's you know, we did it to ourselves as law enforcement as a whole. So sure. The video has helped us way more than it has hurt us. Hmm. So when complaints come in and we're able to watch video and show that no, this did not happen. You know, they did not speak to you this way. They didn't say this or they they did tell you this or they, you know, they put your wallet back in your hmm. in your car. They gave you your driver's license back, you know, even down to trivial things like that. But uh, it, video has helped us way more than it has hurt. Hmm. Um, so in that aspect, you know, it's, policing has just changed. So I won't say harder. I would just say it's changed. Hmm. Okay. Well, Chief, hey, I appreciate your time. This has been wonderful, and uh, I know hopefully our listeners will enjoy getting to getting to know the new chief a little bit. For those who didn't already know you from being here so long, and um, good luck, and uh, hope things go well for you. Thank you again. All right, great. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of Star Talk, which is available wherever you normally get your podcasts, such as iTunes, Google Play, and other locations. And I certainly want to thank Chief Bowles for letting us bother him on this busy Friday afternoon not long after he got the job. I'd like to remind our listeners to go back and check some of our other Star Talk podcasts with local newsmakers that we've recorded this spring and this summer. We thank our subscribers, and if you'd like to subscribe to the newspaper, it's easy to do. Just go to anistonstar.com slash subscribe. The Star can also be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at anistonstar. And our Star Talk podcast is on Facebook and Twitter at Star Talk Podcast. This is Philip Tudor of the Aniston Star. 
Thanks for listening. See you next time.